Wow. It's been a minute. It's been a really long time. <laughs> yeah. I know we said we had all these things planned for the new year, but you know, just as life tends to do, shit hit the fan and then the fan exploded. Yeah. Um, <laughs> We've both been dealing with some like pretty serious loss, so we just needed to take some yeah. time to step away. And that all literally happened over the new year. Yeah. Um, it, like within a day of each other, we both had like horrible things happen, so... We've just been, like, taking time to grieve and process. And, you know, we're still grieving and we're still processing. It's not a, you know, three months and done kind of thing. But I think we both felt ready to give this a try again because I know I've missed just spending this time with you and, like, talking about things that we both love and mysteries of the world. Um, so we're going to give it a go today, but with that, welcome back to Don't Fuck With Ghosts, the podcast about all things haunted, spooky, and supernatural. We are your blowst sisters. I am Betsy. I am Greer, and I'm a little nervous, but I'm so excited to be back. I think it's going to be, I think for me, like, it's going to be like when you, well, I don't know how to ride a bike, so this doesn't apply to me personally, but it's like when you haven't ridden a bike for a long time and you Greer, have to, Do you remember like, when we taught you how to ride a bike on my cul-de-sac? Well, yeah, and you but, did. But you I did it. I didn't. But I haven't ridden a bike since. Something tells me if that you got on a bike right now, you'd be able to do it. I do too. But we're going to Boise to visit my cousin in June, and she's very outdoorsy, and I'm concerned that she might make us ride bikes. So Maggie, if you're Hopefully listening, not the, wait is is Idaho mountainous? I feel like it's a really dumb question for a geography major to ask, but I think so. So, so <laughs> okay. Maggie, if you're listening, because you probably are, please don't make me ride a bike. Duh, no, Definitely not in the mountains, because mountain biking <laughs> is a whole other level than just riding a bike. I'll stay home and stay in the hot springs instead. Um, but so, yeah, I think this will be a good, like, getting back into it episode. Yeah. So, um, so I guess <laughs> one thing that we wanted to start incorporating into the beginning of our podcast episodes, courtesy of Greer's fiance Corey, is Sad Girl Book Club, because, you know, I think reading is it's it's healing for a lot of people and part of my new year's resolution was to read more and I haven't been doing the best at it but I am currently reading two books one so part of the shit hitting the fan for me was that my uncle passed away in November and one of his favorite if not his favorite books was a book called Carry On Mr. Bowditch which is about what was um George Washington surveyor? This guy, oh, your navigator. navigator. <laughs> I was like, a man, I navigator. Um, he's a navigator in like the colonial era. Um, and uh, I tried to read this book before, and I didn't like it. And I told my uncle that, and he was so upset with me oh, and no. <laughs> disappointed. But you know, then he passed, so I was like, how can I honor him? How can I connect with him? And so I tried reading it again. I think if I actually, like, sit down and take the time to read it, I just get so distracted mm-hmm. um, that I think I would enjoy it. And But, yeah, so I'm reading that book, and then I'm also reading Spare by Prince Harry. Oh, yes. I attempted to start reading Spare, and then I had to stop because it's, a, like, a very sad book yeah. in parts. Yeah. Um, he talks a lot about his own grief with his mom, and it's, yeah, yeah. it's a lot. <laughs> I do want to read it at some point, though, because... I would read anything that couple puts out. Uh, yeah, just about anything, anything associated with 
Prince Harry and Meghan or anything really associated with the royal family. Although if, or if, excuse me, if King Charles ever put out a book, I would not read that. I would buy, wait, no, I was about no. to say I would buy it and then throw it away, but then that, he no, would still, he get, still the get the money. I know. Um, so that wouldn't really work. Um, but I'm reading a book called You Are Not Alone, which is by, I don't know how to say her first name. It's pronounced, it's C-A-R- I-A-D, Lloyd, and I'm wondering if it's, like, Carith, maybe, if it's, like, she's from the UK, so I'm wondering if maybe Maybe it's, it's like, some kind of name with, like, a pronunciation you wouldn't expect, (laughs) but um, it's about her grief um, from losing a parent at a young age and, um, like, how she handles her grief and everything, Um, and it's a really interesting book, and I like it a lot because she incorporates a lot of humor so, like, I've been reading a lot of books about grief that are just very heavy and very intense, which yeah. I find helpful. But the levity makes it not as dark. Um, so I really recommend it. Yeah. yeah, I like it a lot. I think it, like, just came out this past year. Nice. So that's our first installment of Sad Girl Book Club. Book Club. And this is also gives us a little bit of accountability to keep reading because <laughs> next time we record, we have to tell each other how far we have gotten or if we finished or Yeah, if we're on whatever. new books. That, yeah, this is true. I have a whole list. Like, I need to read Tom Felton's book. Me too. I need to read... I finished the second installment of the Conjuring books. I need to read the third one. Oh, and my friend from work just gave me a book from... He went to Florida because his parents' 50th wedding anniversary. And um, he went on a ghost tour and gave me a book about um, some famous murder. I can't remember who it's about, but... It looks interesting. So I have a whole bunch of books that I need to read. Perfect. What's next? Potty Patrice. Oh, oh my God. Y'all, I have a Potty Patrice update. Wait, do I know these updates? No, or? you don't. Oh my gosh. Okay. You don't. Okay. I don't think. No. I don't well, think if I do, I don't remember them, so. Look, you're leaking over to me. Like, now I can't remember <laughs> what I've told you and what I haven't. Um, but basically, okay, so I recently moved desks, so I no longer sit near that bathroom, Um, But even before I moved, like, I hadn't had any experiences since before Christmas. Um, Wait, should we remind people quickly what was happening? Oh, yeah. So if you haven't listened to that episode or if you forget who Potty Patrice is, Potty Patrice (laughs) is the ghost that haunts my bathroom at work um, or my previous bathroom at work. And she would set the um, paper towel dispensers off. Um, But apparently she she does sinks, too, because so my coworker who listens to this show, she reached out to me after she listened to that um, episode and she was like, oh my God, I have Potty Patrice stories too. (laughs) And so this is what she said. Basically, she said, I've been in the stalls, no one else in the bathroom. And one of the sinks would just start running. The door didn't open. It was totally empty and quiet. Then all of a sudden the faucet would start going. Oh my gosh. It really freaked me out and has happened multiple times. Once it happened while I was at the other wall of sinks and I almost ran out of there. She says it was the sink that was to the right of a bigger handicap sink, which apparently doesn't work anymore, so maybe it was just a malfunction, but she said either way it was really creepy. Are they the, like, motion-censored sinks? Um, yeah, they are. Oh, mm-hmm. That's really yeah. creepy. Except for the, the handicap one is um, manual, but the ones, all the other ones are. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's spooky. Yeah. Really spooky. So, but, like... I've also heard haunted tales of not only that bathroom, but, like, where I sit 
at my desk. Like, there's a whole bunch of desks and um, quads and a whole setup, basically. And, like, I had a coworker who was working alone on a Sunday and, like, had some pretty spooky encounters. Said he was hearing phantom footsteps. He was hearing, like, or he would say, like, who's that? Like, is anybody there? And he wouldn't get any, get any response. He was hearing things on the, like, going on with the doors. <gasps> oh, my gosh. Um, and then felt, like, some something brush against his back. And, like, oh. So, like I said, my place of work is very haunted. It's been around since, like, the 50s. Um, and it's, the, the, like, every Halloween season, they have, like, a whole publication come out of different, um, haunted tales from different people that work there. Oh, oh my gosh. So do they email that around to you guys? How do you get it? We have, there's like, um, like not a listserv, but like a what's news yeah. kind of thing that they send out every week. So that's amazing. Yeah. So I'll, she's like my court. I told her she's my correspondence now because she's like the, my coworker that still works in that area that listens to this podcast. So she has to tell me whenever she has any more encounters with potty Patrice. She has, she said she hasn't had any since before Christmas either though. So maybe potty Patrice moved into where people work now. Maybe she's following you. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe she'll make an appearance. Oh God. I hope not. (laughs) (laughs) Because also actually now that I think about it, I would it's actually more likely that I would have an experience if Potty Patrice does follow me and she sticks to her trade craft because <laughs> um, now where I sit, I'm like one of two, maybe three women that sit in that area. So whenever I go to the bathroom, I'm always alone, which is plus. Yeah. <laughs> it's a plus. Um, but so if she follows me, I'll be alone and she'll, she'll do her thing. Perfect. Excellent. So, yeah, that's Potty Patrice. Okay, and now we're going to get into our stories for this week, and we have a little bit something different for you guys. We're not going to be talking about ghosts uh, this week. We're going to get into that eventually, you know, as we get back into the swing of things. But today we wanted to talk about our favorite mythological creatures. Of the aquatic variety. Yes. Um, because, so like, like I mentioned, like, episode one of this podcast isn't just about ghosts and, like, haunted entities and of and that sort of thing we also like to talk about the different mysteries of the world you know aliens cryptids all that good stuff so today i'm gonna be talking about mermaids which i've been obsessed with my whole life always play mermaids at the pool at the beach i would literally sit on the beach for hours like looking for mermaids (laughs) because i had this mermaidology book oh my god the giant ones with the little figurines so good yes and they had all these like fake pictures and they yeah. have people that people had taken of mermaids and like I'd always be like oh my god that looks like Emerald Isle <laughs> and I would just sit there and wait to see a mermaid no such luck so before I get into like the recent sightings I need to talk about briefly the background and the history behind mermaid folklore um, so basically, for those who don't know, a mermaid is an aquatic creature with the head and upper body of a female human and the tail of a fish. Mermaids appear in the folklore of many cultures worldwide, including including Europe, Asia, and Africa. They have been depicted as both malevolent and benevolent throughout folklore, you know, either causing floods, shipwrecks, drownings, or bestowing favors such as saving young princes from shipwrecks (gasps) and falling in love with said human. (laughs) 
Um, and then mermaid figures were often placed at the bow of a pirate or sailing ship because many believed they, appear, they appeased the sea, ensuring good weather and finding a safe way back to land. So the Western concept of mermaids as beautiful, seductive singers may have been influenced by the sirens of Greek mythology, which were originally half bird, which I thought was very what? interesting when I was researching this. Maybe because, you know, birds are associated with songs, right? Yeah. So that makes mu- much more sense than a fish. Wow. But that like, I can't more sense. imagine like a half bird no. creature being sexy, you no. know? <laughs> like, like what? Like, no. <laughs> no. No, no, no. Um, but apparently they came to be pictured as half fish-like in the Christian era. Interesting. So historical accounts of mermaids, such as those reported by Christopher Columbus during his exploration of the Caribbean, may have been sightings of manatees or similar aquatic mammals. I The manatee is my favorite animal of my whole life, which it Betsy is. knows, but the, you guys don't know this. I'm f- obsessed yeah. with manatees. Her fiancé got her, like, adopted a manatee for you at one time, right? Yeah. I Her name was Electra, and she was, like, the spunky one. Love it. Yeah. I think she's still alive. I would hope so. When you said was, I was a little concerned. (laughs) While there's no evidence that mermaids exist outside folklore, I beg to differ, reports of mermaid sightings continue to the present day, which we will get into later on in my discussion. So mermaid lore originated in ancient Greek, in ancient Greece with sirens, as I mentioned before, Um, human-like beings with alluring voices who were believed to lure sailors to their death. And sirens also appear in the Odyssey, where Odysseus ends up having to save his crew from the lure of their voices. Now, did we have to read the Odyssey in English in high school? I was just about to ask you. It was either the Odyssey or the... Iliad. Yeah. I feel like I read the Iliad, although I I couldn't tell you what it was about. No, I can't remember also if we read the whole thing, because I feel like it's really big. I, if we, or if we just read passages, I would or bet we read patches, passages if we read it at all. Yeah. So, and obviously, I didn't, you know, store any of this in my head because I'd <laughs> forgotten that there were sirens in it. Um, but sirens continued to be used as a symbol for the dangerous temptation embodied by women regularly throughout Christian art of the medieval era. You know, because women are so tempting and evil. Women are <laughs> the reason for all bad in the world. <laughs> Obviously. (laughs) So mermaids also appear in Middle Eastern mythology. Now I'm going to butcher this, but Kalulu, which means mermen, is a depiction of entities with the upper bodies of humans and the tails of fish, which appeared in Mesopotamian artwork from the old Babylonian period onwards. Now I think Mesopotamia, I think that predates ancient Greece, but I'm not a historian, so... I couldn't tell Take you. that with a grain of salt. <laughs> um, <laughs> but these figures were often depicted as being protective rather than dangerous. And they tended to be mermen, but mermaids did occasionally appear. And there's also a Syrian mermaid goddess in a myth recounted by Diodorus in the first century BCE. A woman named Dercato gave birth to a child from an affair ashamed she abandoned the child in the desert and drowned herself in a lake only to be transformed into a human-headed fish oh <laughs> so not even like the half the upper no, body just, just the, the head. head and like a little fish body oh, that is rough <laughs> yeah mermaids also appear in germanic literature and folklore of the british isles scandinavia western europe eastern europe east asia southeast asia 
Polynesia, Africa, and the Caribbean. So basically everywhere on the planet. Nice. So they must be real then. Yeah, there's if they're no appearing way. Every, there's no way that they're across not real. the whole globe. Exactly. Maybe not Antarctica because it's too cold, but they could be Arctic. What we don't? What we don't know? <laughs> we literally have no idea. No. <laughs> Y'all, we got <laughs> we got a scathing review on Apple Podcasts. <laughs> um, basically, the person said these girls don't know what the hell they're talking about, and we never said we did. We never, okay, we never claimed we to know have anything. No idea what we're talking about ever. <laughs> we're okay. just having fun. We're just having fun, <laughs> and we're talking and making, you know. We're jumping to conclusions left and right. This you know? is like, we want this to feel like you're sitting down with your two best friends, not two ghost scholars. Like, <laughs> no. if we were ghost scholars, this would be boring. I'm sorry. It's true. So, <laughs> so sorry, you know. But, you know. To conclusions left and once right. Once you have a hater, you've made it. That's all I can say about that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Okay. But, okay, so that was the brief, albeit detailed, background of mermaid lore. All throughout the world. So now we're going to get into the sightings of the last century. Nice. So I've got pictures. I've got <gasps> videos. Ooh. This shit, like, people be seeing mermaids. And saying. as a reminder, all pictures and videos we will share on our Instagram. So yes. you won't see them now, but you can follow along once we post. Yeah. Okay, so I, I found all of these on an article, which I will source in the episode notes. But um, the first one was in 1943 in the Key Islands. So during World War II, Japanese soldiers were stationed in a 555-square-mile area in the Key Islands in Indonesia. There they had some strange encounters with, quote-unquote, mermaids during the 1940s. The local villagers were familiar with these creatures and called them orangikan, which to me sounded like orangutan, but whatever, which translates to manfish. The creatures were described as being around 150 centimeters tall, having spikes on the spine, shoulders, and neck. They were said to have pink salmon-colored skin. Wait, and, um, 150 feet tall? No, centimeters. Oh. Centimeters. <laughs> oh, God. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> okay. Uh, no. Sorry. That'll be crazy. Continue, continue. That'll be crazy. Maybe, like, in the deep, deep ocean. Probably. Or the megal- meg- megalodon. Megalodon. We yeah. don't know what's down there. Prehistoric mermaids. Um, so they were said to have pink salmon colored skin and a mouth that resembled a carp. Rather than having a fish tail, these creatures had long arms and frog like legs, both of which had talons at the end. The Japanese soldiers recorded many different sightings, saying they even saw some on land, suggesting they were amphibious, but mostly seemed at home in the water. One instance, a troop of soldiers claimed to be exploring some unseen land and came upon a natural lagoon. Everything seemed normal until there was a sudden thrashing in the water. Suddenly, an orangutan jumped out of the water onto a nearby rock. It turned and faced the soldiers to let out a gurgling burping, which was in quotes, noise. That was my um, interpretation. That didn't seem to be friendly. <laughs> then they saw another creature moving smoothly in the water toward them as fast as any fish would. Not knowing the intention of the creatures, the soldiers started shooting at the rocks and into the water, only to have the creatures disappear from view. A sergeant named Mr. Taro spoke to the villagers and requested if any of the orangutan were captured, dead or alive, to contact him immediately. It was soon after the chief summoned the general, and to his astonishment, saw with his own eyes the lifeless aquatic creature. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> He described what he saw as, quote-unquote, roughly four foot nine inches tall, pinkish skin, human-looking face and limbs, spikes along its head, and a mouth like a carp. 
Mr. Taro Horiba made his best efforts after the war to get the scientific community involved. Yet, unfortunately, nothing ever happened. Interesting. Sounds like a cover-up to me. It does. I don't know. This one also did not have any pictures, unfortunately. But the descriptions really, like, paint a picture for me. Yeah, they do. And I always felt like if somebody ever did find a mermaid, it would be, like, looking like that. Like, spiky and, like... Yes, or like or the like, mermaids in yeah, Harry Potter. Exactly. Not like a not Ariel. Ariel. Exactly. Not at all. Mm-mm. No bra. <laughs> no bra. It's <laughs> out. Okay. Um, okay, so the second one that this article talked about was in 1967, British Columbia, Canada. So the story goes, a ferry filled with tourists spotted a blonde-haired mermaid sitting topless on the beach, eating a salmon fish and enjoying the waves splash up upon her. One witness said she was attractive and had dimples. Well, I don't know how he would have seen her dimples from that far away. <laughs> there was one photo taken of the event, which does show a blonde woman with the lower half of a porpoise. <laughs> a, a similar incident happened later that week with a mermaid spotting, but by that time, there were plenty of skeptics who didn't believe she was real. Charles White from the Undersea Gardens financed a $25,000 reward for the mermaid's capture and even offered room and board with special combs for the mermaid's pleasure. <laughs> oh, my God. This may sound odd, but the company was desperate to prove her existence. Unfortunately, the story died soon after. So I'm going to show you the picture. Okay. I just have to find it. Okay. So it's black and white. Oh. But you can see yeah, her hair. Yeah, you can clearly see her hair and a tail. Tail and... Maybe a fish? I know. That's a little... It's it's pretty grainy. I definitely see, like, her hair, her arms, and a tail, like, very yeah. clearly. Yep. So, go Canada. <laughs> um, the next one takes us into 1998 in Kailua Kona, which is an island of Hawaii. Mm-hmm which has plenty of folklore and legends around beautiful aquatic creatures, but in 1998, a diver named Liker claims he got the first ever documented proof that mermaids do exist. Liker operates the Jack Diving Locker of Kauai and was 20 minutes off the coast of... It's, it looks the same, but it's spelled different, of Kauai when he saw what looked like a nude woman swimming with a pod of dolphins. The woman was able to keep up with the pace of the dolphins, which Liker thought was odd. All of a sudden, she jumps into the air, and he realizes she has the lower half of a fish! <laughs> Ten people on the boat witnessed the incident, but the mermaid disappeared after just two jumps out of the water. What? You might think this is the end of the story, but no. <gasps> An hour later, as Liker was photographing some underwater life, that same mermaid brushed up against him while swimming and turned back around just in time for him to snap a few pictures. <gasps> oh my gosh, I want to see. You can't. Why? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Oh! <laughs> He deleted them. <laughs> yeah. They mysteriously disappeared. <laughs> he says, quote, I feel very lucky that I'm the one to finally prove to the world what people here have known for half a century, end quote, says Liker. The Kauai Point Mermaid is real. <clears throat> so I will show you the pictures. Now, this one does look like like an aerial. Like, look at that. that- I mean, it's a shadow, but... That's the picture he took? That's the That's one. Yeah. And that's another. What? From but they, underneath. But they look too perfect. I know. Like, I don't trust it. No. I don't trust it. I mean, I want um, to, but... But, like, I don't think Photoshop was a thing yet in the 90s, was it? Well, picture editing definitely was because yeah. of, like, magazines and stuff. That's true. But I don't know. That's interesting. 
Yeah. It, yeah. I don't know. Because she looks like Ariel. Yes. Like she's got, exactly the long she's hair. She's got curves and stuff. Curvaceous. No lumps and bumps or no. what the other ones have. Like points on their on their S- spikes. Spines. Yeah. No, I mean, I don't. It's hard to tell because it is a silhouette, but like I don't see any like scales on her upper body or anything. But also, like, why couldn't there be different variations of mermaids? Like, why no, couldn't there, there be could. some? Like, if there, if it's a deep sea mermaid, it would look more like the Harry Potter ones. Mm-hmm. It depends on the water, like. I feel like mermaids that are closer to coastlines, like beaches, yeah. would probably be more beautiful. That's true, because, like, I'm wondering, maybe, <laughs> now, now we're going to be talking about the evolution of mermaids, but maybe <laughs> the older versions of mermaids look more like the Ariel, and then if they start, like, migrating more deeper and deeper, mm-hmm. then that's when they start getting more scales over the rest of their body, or maybe it's the reverse. I don't know. I don't know, but it would make sense for the mermaids that are closer to the coastlines to be more beautiful because that's how they lure men out to rescue them. But if like you saw a scaly ass looking lizard person in the water, you'd be like, oh, they don't need to be saved that they can, we can stare them. They're fine. Yeah. No. Um, and then that's the guy in his boat. Is he wearing pants? Yeah, he's wearing pants. Oh, okay. It's just black and white, so it's hard to tell, but yes. Okay. <laughs> Could you imagine? He goes in pantsless and finds a topless mermaid. Oh, oh my God. Match made in heaven. <laughs> <sighs> All right. Um, and then the next one was in 2009 in Israel. So dozens of locals near Kiryat Yam, Israel, have claimed to see a mermaid off the shore at sunset. These sightings went on for some time before the local media got involved. The onlookers said the creature resembles a young girl and would often visit the beach and do tricks in the water. Eventually, the Israeli government noticed all the attention and issued a $1 million reward for anyone who could provide proof of the mermaid. This didn't include capturing. It simply required an authentic photo. NBC decided to do its own investigation and had a film crew stationed at Kiryat Yam Beach morning and night, above and below the water, to document the mermaid. The crew claimed that late one night, they managed to spot a human figure dipping into the water, then disappearing. The research crew did their best to pursue the mermaid, but were unable to trace its location. The footage was transferred to the Coastal Oceans Research in Los Angeles to see if it could be authenticated. Michael Schacht, the center's director, said that although it was impossible to unequivocally determine the figure in the footage, it still remains a viable option. This just means it could be, but can't be proven. Tourists and locals are still on the lookout to prove the existence of the Kiryat Yam mermaid to claim that $1 million reward. I could not find this footage. And also, it kept saying that there was a documentary in the works and no such documentary <laughs> was found. So that tells me that nobody ever found it, obviously. <laughs> a mil- Why would it be a million dollars? That's so high. That is high, especially for 2009. I know. They must have been afraid of her. Yeah. They needed information on her. That's just true. Maybe, Maybe they, they thought, thought it was, was a spy. I was just about to say the exact same thing. Yes. Yeah. It could have been. That would be kind of hilarious, though, if everyone thought the spy was a mermaid. It's the perfect cover. I know. <laughs> <laughs> that would be oh funny. My God. <laughs> okay. The next one is in 2012 in Zimbabwe. Oh. Some mermaids just want to be left alone. This was the case of the Zimbabwe dam workers in 2012 who were trying to install a water pump, which was crucial to the local agriculture. Local divers and workers were hired to see what was blocking the pump, and when they surfaced, vowed never to return. 
Sam Sepepa Nakomo, a water resource minister, told the Senate committee that the village chiefs could perform an ancient ritual to get rid of the mermaid and calm the workers' anxiety. And I found out that this ancient ritual was brewing beer. Oh. And I don't know, like, what made it, like, what was different about, like, how they made it, like, ritualistic or anything. Like, all I could ever find was, I, I tried to look up, like, ancient... <laughs> Zimbabwe ritual, like mermaid ritual with mm-hmm. beer, and it was all just like said that they brewed beer. And That's so interesting. I don't know if they like pour it in the water or like <laughs> what they do with the beer, or if it's just the act of brewing the beer. But I thought that was very interesting. That is. Um, but however, the workers still refused to return even after the ritual was performed. Being skeptical of the workers' reasonings for quitting, the government hired outside help as they thought this belief was cultural, but the new workers reported the same thing and refused to finish the repairs. To this day, the dam is still not finished. Wow. And I actually found a Daily Mail article about this. Oh my god, fucking Daily Mail. Yeah. And there's a quote from it that says, The belief in mermaids and other mythical creatures is widespread in the country, where many people combine a Christian faith with traditional beliefs. He called for traditional rituals to be performed at the dams, including, like I mentioned, traditionally brewed beer to rid them of the mermaid menace. Um, And this happened at two reservoirs. And they were considered essential if Zimbabwe was to provide adequate water to its population and boost its agricultural production, but they refused to, oh, shit, to, yeah. to pump it. So I don't know what they've done since 2012. I don't know. That doesn't sound <laughs> very good. Ago. Years ago. Um, okay. And I have one more and this has a video and this video freaks me the fuck out. Oh my God. When is it from? This is from, I want to say it's from 2018. I have an oh, article. Wow. So, like, decently, re- oh, my God, but that was five years ago, which is insane to think about. Ew, but don't say that. Yeah. <laughs> my five-year college reunion is coming up. I'm not going. Yeah, but. this article was posted in 2018, and this girl posted it on TikTok. Actually, 2018 predates TikTok, doesn't it? I don't I thought it was, well, it's since been posted to TikTok. Uh-huh. Um, it's titled, Mermaid-like Creature Spotted Chasing After a Boatload of Tourists on a River in Puerto Rico. Okay. Look at, look at. <gasps> Do you see the hair? Do you yes! see the hair? What the fuck is that? <gasps> oh my god! Looked like a fucking floating body. And are people are saying mermaid, right? But have you, you know La Llorona, right? No. You I don't know La Llorona? No, I didn't watch that movie. Well, it's about a woman who went crazy and drowned her baby and then killed herself. And like, now, well, like like haunts people and then will like try to take their child oh my god like, kill their child that's who you think it is that's like i mean and she's like since she i think she drowned herself okay and so, so she's of the water she's of the water oh my gosh yeah. that okay this is the kind of video which you guys will see um once we can share it with you but it's the kind of video where like you watch it at first and you don't, you see something, but you don't exactly see it. And then when you watch it again and you're paying attention to like the hair and the body and the water, that was really, so what is the context? Do they say the context of this video? They're just, it looks like they're on a ride almost. Yeah. They're, they're, they're like, not, but they're, they're it on looks a boat like, yeah. And they're like going through like channels in this. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a river too. It's so it's freshwater. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's in Puerto Rico. 
And that's really all the context I have. That was And it's so like they're crazy. tourists, so it's like some sort of touristy boat attraction thing. I wonder if they were filming it knowing that they were being chased or if she was just filming her no, trip. No, because it looks like they're on. going pretty fast. You know, that's what it... Okay, yeah. yes, I'm remembering now when I was reading about this. She didn't see it until she reviewed the film, like oh the God, footage. That is fucking crazy. Oh my God, I'm burping. Sorry, I just cursed. Mom told me not to curse so much. Well, I hate to break it to Jeannie, but there's a curse word in our show name. <laughs> what? <laughs> no, that is... That makes me uncomfortable. Yeah, because like that almost looks... Like, if I saw that, my first gut reaction is not mermaid. No, like it looks I think like dead body in the water. I'm like, oh, La Llorona. Or, <laughs> or, it's, or dead body. Or just, like, the ghost of somebody that drowned there. Mm-hmm. That's what that makes Ooh. me think of. <laughs> that gives me chills. Okay, well, yeah, we'll figure... It's from... I don't know if we'll be able to share that on Instagram. I, I can screen but record we'll, it. Okay, As long perfect. as I say who it's from and give them credit, okay, then perfect. <laughs> it's fine. Okay. Um, yeah. So now I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about attractions that people would use, like they use mermaids as the attraction. So have you ever heard of the Fiji mermaid? Mm -mm. Okay. So the Fiji mermaid was an object composed of the torso and head of a juvenile monkey sewn to the back half of a fish. What? It was a common feature of sideshows where it was presented as the mummified body of a creature that was supposedly half mammal and half fish, a version of a mermaid. The original had fish scales with animal hair superimposed on its body with pendulous breasts on its (laughs) chest. The mouth was wide open with its teeth bared. The right hand was against the right cheek and the left tucked under its lower left jaw. This mermaid was supposedly caught near the Fiji Islands in the South Pacific Several replicas and variations have also been made and exhibited under similar names and pretexts. P.T. Barnum exhibited the original in Barnum's American Museum in New York in 1842, but it then disappeared, likely destroyed in one of the many fires that destroyed parts of Barnum's collections. So when I, like, looked to figure out where this mermaid had come from Mm -hmm. it had originally come from japan sold by fishermen with a sense of humor as well as profit mindedness (laughs) is how the article um described it Mm -hmm. said to have been bought by samuel barrett eads in 1822 for six thousand dollars in when 1822 1822 oh my gosh i can't even imagine probably six figures at least at least for sure oh my god These Japanese fishermen were smart. I know. Um, he displayed it in London where it was advertised in a publication by Jay Limbird in the Mirror and displayed in the Turf Coffee House on St. James Street. Ede's son ended up selling it to Moses Kimball of the Boston Museum, who then brought it to New York City to show P.T. Barnum. Barnum had a naturalist look at it, but they were unable to attest to its authenticity because it was fake. <laughs> <laughs> Which like if it was sewn together, I feel like that would be pretty easily be determined, right? Like I'm sure like the thread had probably disintegrated, but well, I mean, okay, if the original person had bought it in 1822, that means PT Barnum got it about 20 years later. Mm-hmm. How long does thread take to I think if something's been sewed together, I don't know that it would disintegrate. No. Not for a long time. Longer than 20 years. Maybe the fur from the monkey was just so thick and they were able to, like, sew it so far underneath that you couldn't see. I don't know. But also, like, these people didn't have the internet. So it's not like, I mean, that's so obvious, but they couldn't, I feel like confirming things was so much, you were like, okay, well, it doesn't seem to be real. So, (laughs) therefore. Yeah. Nevertheless, Barnum (laughs) believed that the relic would draw the public to the museum and he was right. (laughs) The art slash hoax of the Fiji mermaid is replicated a few more times in history, and there's even a guide to constructing 
to constructing a Fiji mermaid that appeared in the November 2009 issue of 14 Times Magazine in an article written by special effects expert and stop-motion animator Alan Friswell. Rather than building the figure with fish and monkey parts, Friswell used paper mache and modeling putty mm. sealed with wallpaper paste and with doll's hair glued to the scalp. <laughs> okay. So other than museums and things of that nature to draw a crowd... There's also mermaid shows. Scantily clad women placed in water tanks and impersonating mermaids performed at the 1939 New York World's Fair. Really? Yes. Wow. It was part of the Dream of Venus installation by surrealist artist Salvador Dali. <gasps> That's so cool. Yeah. Is there f- like footage of that? There's probably pictures of it. We can include that. That's cool. Yeah. <clears throat> The mermaid interacted with Oscar the Obscene Octopus, and the (laughs) ongoings were portrayed in E.L. Doctorow's novel, World's Fair. And also, professional female divers have performed as mermaids at Florida's Wikiwachi Springs since 1947. My friend from work actually told me about this, too, the one that went to Florida. Uh I had never heard of this before, but apparently it's it's still going on. Wow. The state park calls itself the only city of live mermaids and was extremely popular in the 1960s, drawing almost one million tourists per year. Oh my gosh. Most of the current performers work part-time while attending college and all are certified scuba divers. They wear fabric tails and perform aquatic ballet while holding their breath for an audience in an underwater stage with glass walls. Children often ask if the mermaids are real. The park's PR director says, quote, just like with Santa Claus or any other mythical character, we always say yes. We're not going to tell them they're not real. End quote. Oh, my gosh. I feel like you have to go there. Yeah. Where in Florida is it? Did it say? I'll have to look it up. Well, we'll find out. Yeah. And then I feel like you have out. to make a pilgrimage there. Yes. And then I, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the JMU mermaid. Oh, <laughs> My God, I forgot. Oh my God, I forgot. Okay. Okay, guys, I went to James Madison University, which is in Harrisonburg, Virginia, and we had a mermaid. She, I don't, I, I knew her through a friend because she, I never met her, but she was in the same sorority as one of my good friends. And she, I want to know how much she spent on these tales because she would take like professional photos. I followed her on Instagram for a while. Or at least I would stalk her on Instagram. I don't know if I ever followed her. <laughs> but she would take professional photo shoots in these tales. And she had multiple. Was she, uh, like, a performer? She was eventually. Like, I think either um, when we were on breaks or after we graduated, she... Maybe she did Wiki Watchy. Yeah. I don't know. But she would take professional photo shoots in her tales. And she, like, when she would... Um, caption them and she was with other people in mer tales she would call them mer sisters oh my god this is very interesting it's like a whole community i don't even know what to think of that it's just very interesting it is very interesting like what if you live somewhere where you're totally landlocked and you're not near water but you want to be a mermaid then you either move or you give it up (laughs) (laughs) there's only two options (laughs) But if you're a true mermaid, you have to go where the water is. That's so true. It's calling you home. Yeah. Was she our year? No, I think she was older. Okay. Yeah. But she, our newspaper wrote about her and like a bunch of other people. Like there was the girl that, who was in my brother's year, who dressed every day like James Madison. Like she'd go to class dressed as James Madison. And then there was a guy on campus who apparently looked like Thor. So they wrote about him too. 
Um, but yeah, so that was the Jamie Mermaid. I hope she's doing great. I hope she's still living her mer, mer life. I do too. Okay, now we're going to talk about mermaids in film. Nice. So, I, I, from what I could find, the first film that a mermaid was featured in was in 1948 in a film called Miranda, followed by the likes of Night Tide in 1961 and Splash in 1984 with Daddy Tom Hanks. I've never seen Splash. Greer. Are you shocked? <sighs> I guess not. You're... Not surprised, but you are disappointed. I'm disappointed. I'm disappointed. <laughs> it's it's my favorite. Well, okay. I don't know if I, I want to say, say it's my f- over Aquamarine. Yeah, that's literally mm-hmm. why I, I hesitated because Aquamarine is probably my favorite mermaid movie. But uh, Splash is close has close second. Um, is Tom then- Hanks the mermaid in Splash? <laughs> <laughs> okay, I guess not. <laughs> They had to make the mermaid a hot woman. I've never seen it. What do I know? Are you going to watch it or can I tell you, you tell some me. stuff? Okay. <laughs> so he finds this mermaid and then you find out that the, that mermaid saved him when he was a little boy and he fell off the boat. Um, and then he realizes that when he's with her in the water, he's fine underwater. So like he, he is a mermaid. No, because he doesn't have a tail or anything. No. He has to be, like, holding her hand. And then, like, oh. he's fine underwater. And then the movie... So, like, basically she gets captured for science. Mm-hmm. And then he rescues her. And then they escape into the ocean. And he goes and lives with her in her mermaid colony. So do they fall in love? Or is yeah, it, like, yeah, a sibling no, they're thing? in love. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh. Well, how old was she when she rescued him as a child? Was she too a child? No, she was a child mermaid, oh, okay. too. Yeah. That's better. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, perfect. Now I don't have to watch it. Thank oh, my you. God. I forgot about the 13th year. Wait, I don't think I've watched that one either. Was it DCOM? No. Oh, yeah, I haven't seen it. <laughs> well, it is ridiculous. I am striking out left and right. <laughs> it is ridiculous. Um, but it is great. And then... Feature mermaids are also featured in movies such as Peter Pan and Pirates of the Caribbean. Even though they're not like the main character, mm-hmm. they're still in it because you know it's fairy tales about and they're on the water. Yes, you gotta, you gotta the have them in. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and we also have them in TV like H two O. Just add water. Yes, I binged all of H two O freshman year of college. Like I watched it when it was coming out, but I mm-hmm. never like watched it straight through. And so I just I watched all of it freshman year of college it lives up and also vampire diaries had sirens in it oh later like late late seasons Mm -hmm. um but they didn't have tails they they were just in the water and they would eat people and they just so they had legs yeah they had legs but they they could like swim around fast in the water and they would kill people interesting water okay yeah yeah but okay so that kind of wraps up mermaids and film and modern media um, so to conclude, I, I found, um, like a little snippet in an article from Deep Sea News that listed five primary reasons, uh, as to why mermaids do not fit current evolutionary understanding, <laughs> thermal regulation, thermal regulation, which is adaptations for regulating body heat, evolutionary mismatch, reproductive challenges, digestive, digestive differences between mammals and fish and lack of physical evidence. <laughs> But, as we've mentioned several times on this podcast before, legends and lore come from a little sliver of truth. Mm-hmm. And also, more importantly, more than 80% of our ocean is unmapped, unobserved, <laughs> and unexplored. Therefore, the number of species that have yet to be discovered is extremely high, which makes the possibility that mermaids, or at least humanoid sea creatures, exist not unlikely. 
That makes sense. I think so. <laughs> I mean, I know what Basically, you were trying to say. Our, our, but there's so much of the ocean that we've never seen. Yes. And we'll never see. And so. Why not? Why not? This is how I feel about all this stuff in general. Why not believe in these fun creatures that are harmless? Like, yeah, it's it's just, there's so many people that are just like, why would you be so stupid to think that's real? And it's like, well, why not? Yeah, what's the harm? It's you never a, you never seen eighty percent of the ocean. Yeah, it's you not don't a know. dangerous conspiracy theory. You're stupid for not for not thinking about the other possibilities out there. Yeah, dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> So my feelings about mermaids are similar to my feelings about aliens. Like I think aliens 1000% exist because there's so much of the universe that we've never seen. We can't even think about. We can't even fathom. So that's how I feel about the ocean. Yeah. I feel the same way. We don't know what we don't know. Yeah. So that is my breakdown of the background and history of mermaid folklore and recent sightings over the past 100 years. Okay. Um, so today I am going to be talking about my favorite mythological creature, cryptid, um, fun fact, when I was doing my research, I learned that there is in fact a difference between a mythological creature and a cryptid. And cause I didn't know, but apparently a cryptid is like a mythological creature, but ha- that one that has some sort of tangible evidence like people have claimed to have seen it like people truly believe that it is real so like the Loch Ness Monster or Bigfoot um, mermaids could fall under that category things that would be considered mythological creatures would be things like um, unicorns yeah unicorns or dragons or like hippogriffs me (laughs) (laughs) so I learned that there is a difference which I, I thought was really interesting so, like I said, today I'm going to be talking about the Loch Ness Monster, affectionately known as Nessie. Our greatest underwater um, ally. I know. Well, I'm, I'm getting to that later. Oh, good, 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 don't good, you, good. Don't you fret. Um, but I am obsessed with Scotland, and I believe that the Loch Ness Monster exists for the reasons that Betsy and I just talked about. Like, I mean, Loch Ness is not the ocean, um, so it's not, like, unexplorable, but... That's just deep. It's deep. And also just, like I said, why not believe in things that could be real that are harmless to believe in? So I used two major sources for my notes. The first was an entry in the Encyclopedia Britannica Online written by Amy um, Tikkanen and an article on PBS.org by Stephen Lyons called The Legend of Loch Ness. So the Loch Ness Monster is a large aquatic creature believed by many to live in Loch Ness in Scotland. And I know most people probably already know this, but just in <coughs> case, ooh, just, <laughs> but just in case anybody doesn't know, a loch spelled L-O-C-H is a Scottish Gaelic word for lake. So Loch Ness is just a, a big lake in Scotland. Um, artistic renderings of the Loch Ness Monster, like if you just were to Google Loch Ness Monster, um, it would show a creature that looks like a cross between almost like a large dragon and a whale. So there's usually an elongated neck. Um, it can appear to look scaly. It tends to have like a bigger belly with four really large flippers and a long, thick tail. And I'll put um, pictures of renderings up on Instagram. Reports of a monster living in Loch Ness date back to ancient times. 
So stone carvings done by the Pict people show a mysterious aquatic beast with large flippers. Um, The Pict, spelled P-I-C-T, were an ancient people who lived in what is now eastern and northeastern Scotland. Um, They were known for covering their bodies in tattoos. So these same stone carvings that have been found uh, depict other animals that historians were able to easily identify. So... um, I, like they didn't list what the animals were, but like a deer, for example, or um, like a bear. I don't know if those even. I don't think bears exist in Scotland, but there were animals. My point is, there were animals. Yes, they do. Bears in did, Scotland. Didn't you ever see Brave? I thought that was in Ireland. No, Brave is Scotland. Oh, well, then there could be bears in Scotland. I mean, Brave is pretty much a documentary. So. <laughs> This is true. But my point was that there were other animals that had been drawn in these um, stone carvings that historians could easily identify. But there was one aquatic creature where they were like, what the fuck is this? It had an elongated beak and big flippers instead of feet. And some people described it as a swimming elephant. So this creature was like a big question mark. Like, what are they trying to depict here? So that's the first kind of inkling that something like the Loch Ness Monster existed back in ancient times. The first written account of the Loch Ness Monster was in a 7th century biography of St. Columba, who was the man credited with introducing Christianity to Scotland. So according to the account, in 565 AD, Columba was on his way to visit the king of the Pict people in what is now Scotland. He stopped along the shore of Loch Ness and saw a large beast about to attack a man who was swimming in the water. Columba allegedly raised his hand, invoked the name of God, and commanded the beast to go back with all speed. (laughs) The creature complied, and the swimmer was saved. And actually, there's a rich history of mysterious aquatic creatures within Scottish folklore, and large animals have often been associated with many bodies of water. So you might be familiar with Kelpies. Do you know what a Kelpie is? Tom's really familiar. You'll probably know what I'm talking about. Kelpies are shape-shifting creatures that live in Scottish locks and bodies of water. They are said to have magical powers and malevolent intentions and are often described as looking like beautiful and powerful black horses with a little bit of sea creature mixed in. So, we, like, read about these in one of the Harry Potter books or something. I'm sure we did, because Hogwarts is in Scotland. Yeah, or, like, um... Like Fantastic Beasts or something. Yeah. Yeah. So that is a Kelpie. It kind of looks like a horse mermaid. Yeah. It's a big black stallion with a long mane. And then the back half is like (gasps) a a big black. A seahorse. (gasps) Oh my God. I'm so fucking stupid. I didn't ever. I didn't put that together. Yes. It looks like (laughs) a gigantic, majestic stallion with a fish's lower half. Um. But legend says that Kelpies lure small children into the water by offering them rides on their backs. Once the children are on their backs, they actually become stuck to the Kelpie and are dragged to a watery depth, um, and their livers will wash ashore the next day. I don't know why their livers wash ashore. Very um, specific. I know. Um, So basically, like, mysterious creatures and bodies of water have a big history in Scottish folklore. So it's not, like, surprising that something like the Loch Ness Monster has been believed to exist for such a long time. 
The legend of the Loch Ness Monster began to grow in 1933 when a couple reported seeing an enormous animal that they described as, quote, a dragon or a prehistoric monster, end quote, while sitting in their car at the edge of Loch Ness. They claimed that it crossed in front of their car and disappeared into the watery depths. Wait, so people were seeing this thing out on land, too, not I know, just in the water. Which I, that's the only report that I found. So is she amphibious? I don't know. If she's a swimming elephant, like the scholars described, would, yeah. maybe. Yeah. But that's what this couple I think an claimed. elephant mixed with a platypus. Oh my god, <laughs> that would be kind of cute. Um, <laughs> so after this report, several London and Scotland newspapers sent reporters um, and correspondents to the Loch to Loch Ness to report on this latest news. A circus in Great Britain even offered a £20,000 reward for capturing the creature. Um, So to cash in on this reward, hundreds of scouts and outdoor enthusiasts and like outdoor professional hunters arrived to do their part. And in December of that year, the Daily Mail, it's like you had Daily Mail, they're everywhere. The Daily Mail is inescapable. Um, The Daily Mail commissioned a man named Marmaduke Wetherell (laughs) <laughs> who was a who was a big game hunter to find the creature? That sounds like a character from, like, like a whodunit. Yes, you know? it does. <laughs> like he would be. It sounds like if you were to make a caricature of a British British person for a whodunit, like a Clue type movie. Yeah, I'm, I'm, a, Duke I'm imagining somebody that looks like the dad from Tarzan, like Jane's dad. Yes, a hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah, so that's basically who is showing up to try to find the Daily Mail. Cool. Um, so Marmaduke Wetherell said he found large footprints along the lock's shores that he said must have belonged to a soft-footed animal about 6 meters or 20 feet long. Unfortunately, upon further inspection, professionals from the Natural History Museum claimed that the tracks were not real and that they were instead made with an umbrella stand that had a hippopotamus leg as the base. Which seems like a very specific umbrella stand to own, but whatever. They basically said these footprints are fake. Marmaduke Wetherell, you made these footprints. Um, however, this poor guy. Like, what if they were real though? I and, know. Like, he's just and like, no, guys, I promise. <laughs> I know. But despite the debunking of this alleged hoax, the legend of the Loch Ness monster persisted and persisted quite strongly. Even though scientists claimed that the Loch Ness monster sighting claimed this Loch Ness monster sighting as a hoax, eyewitness accounts continued to surface, and they do up and like through modern day. Um, most people who have claimed to have seen the Loch Ness monster describe it as having several humps that appear above the water, um, a long neck, and even flippers. I think it like in the pictures that I've seen, like there's a famous one that I'm going to talk about that probably everybody has seen. It looks like a um, Brontosaurus? Is that the long neck dinosaur? I think so. It kind of, it sounds like that's what they're describing, like a long neck mm-hmm. poking out of the water and then sort of humps coming out almost like a, like a, an eel or like a dragon's back is poking out of the water. Um, interestingly enough, at the time, reportedly many of the people making these claims were lawyers, priests, scientists, um, school teachers, policemen, fishermen, like the list goes on. But my point is that these people were all intelligent, level-headed people, um, and it would be unlikely for them to make up false claims and fall for hoaxes if they've reached, you know, a certain level of education. They probably would be able to to decipher truth from fiction. So, interestingly enough, a lot of like what you would consider to be high up intelligent people were claiming to see Nessie. 
Um, a local doctor named Constance White published a book in 1957 called More Than a Legend that compiled these eyewitness accounts alongside sketches of their sightings. Her goal was, quote, vindication of many people of integrity who had reported honestly what they had seen in Loch Ness, end quote. Her book really actually flipped public opinion on the Loch Ness Monster, and she was once again, con- she being Nessie, not the doctor. Uh, Nessie was once again considered a subject worthy of scientific investigation, and there were a lot of investigations and explorations that followed from the 60s up through the 90s. So throughout the 1960s, several expeditions were launched by the BBC, Oxford, Cambridge, and the University of Birmingham um, using sonar to search deep within Loch Ness's waters for the creature. So like, once again, very reputable universities and institutions searching for the truth about Loch. I just, what I take away from this and like from your stuff about mermaids and thinking about aliens, I feel like the sixties, like fifties, sixties and seventies must've been a wild time to be alive because all of these things were just coming up and you couldn't just do a Google search to determine if things were real or not. Yeah. So like you just were living in like the mystery of, are there mermaids? Are there aliens? Does the Loch Ness monster exist? And that's like pretty crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I read a lot of books. Uh, I know. <laughs> well, okay. So even though all of the journeys ended up inconclusive each time, the sonar operator found large moving underwater objects that could not be explained. Expeditions continued over the years, and as technology advanced, the Loch Ness Monster's existence didn't seem to be proven, but it also couldn't be definitively disproven either. A well-respected British naturalist named Sir Peter Scott shared his belief after studying the evidence that the Loch Ness Monster was a plesiosaur, which is an ancient reptile thought to have gone extinct with the dinosaurs. This is probably extremely untrue, but you can't deny that renderings of a plesiosaurus look very similar to what we believe the Loch Ness Monster to resemble. Okay, so this is an image of a plesiosaurus, which looks Pretty much Ooh. like what you would expect Nessie to look like. Yeah. Yeah. Like it has, we'll it's have like epi- little... in the, um, on Instagram, but like a long neck, a big belly flippers instead of feet looks very much like a dinosaur dragon kind of elephant underwater, like hybrid thing. So I don't think dinosaurs that went extinct 65 million years ago exist anymore, but I mean, it looks pretty similar to what well, he's maybe claiming. Because he was in the the lake. Well, the lake probably didn't exist yet. But <laughs> I was gonna say maybe he was in the lake when the meteor hit. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> That's definitely not it. Once again, See, we, we don't. don't yeah, know we don't. We, we don't claim to know literally anything, you guys. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Okay, so there were three major expeditions that produced more potential evidence for the monster over the years. In 1987, Operation Deep Scan used sonar-equipped boats to search the lock, which resulted in three underwater targets that could not be explained. In the early 90s, Project Urquhart's sonar sonar detected a large, moving underwater target and followed it for several minutes before it totally disappeared from sight and from detection. And in 1997, an expedition detected a moving target that appeared to be about 15 feet long or the size of a small whale. So I don't know what else could be existing in Loch Ness. Like, I do. would a 15-foot fish exist in a lake? I don't know. I've never been to Loch Ness. I haven't either. I don't either. know how long it is. I don't... 
I should have looked that up. I have no idea how big it is. I know the water is very, very black, and that's why it feels kind of ominous there, because the water is very cold and very dark. Conspiracy town. Okay. Loch Ness is a portal. I I would believe that. The Scottish Highlands don't feel... They don't feel real. They feel very mythological. Probably. (laughs) (laughs) Confirmed. (laughs) Okay. Now, if you've ever looked anything up about the Loch Ness Monster, you're probably familiar with this infamous black and white grainy photo of the monster's head and neck allegedly sticking out of the water. So I'm going to show you that picture now. I oh, is this the famous I would, one that... I would guarantee yep, you've seen it. Yep. Yep. If you Google Loch Ness Monster, it, it is look, like... It looks like a little finger. I know it does. <laughs> if you Google Loch Ness Monster, this is like the only picture that comes up. Yeah. Um, one of the only pictures that comes up. So... Who took it? That photo was taken in 1934 by a physician named R. Kenneth Wilson. Um, And again, interestingly enough, like a doctor taking this picture. And I say interestingly enough because in 1994, a former English teacher named Alistair Boyd looked into it and proved that it was false, that the whole thing was like a hoax. It's a fake picture? Yes, it's a fake picture. And there's there was a lot of backstory on how he figured it out, and it was just kind of complex but he basically was able to trace back all the connections to like who took the photo it was this guy r kenneth wilson who did he know and then like he was able to get in contact with somebody who was on his deathbed who like confessed that this photo was a hoax and it essentially was like a fake monster's neck that they had constructed out of like wood or whatever material attached to a toy submarine. That makes me sick. Isn't that so sad? That is terrible. I know. But what's interesting is that even though um, Alistair Boyd, the man who proved that it was a hoax, even though he discovered this, it didn't waver his own personal belief that the Loch Ness Monster is real. Like, he said he's had his own sighting and believes in her existence, and despite this being disproven, and he said, quote, I am so convicted of the reality of these creatures that I would actually stake my life on their existence. Oh my I God. trust my eyesight, dot, dot, dot. I used to make my living teaching people how to observe, and I know that the thing I saw was not a log or an otter or a wave or anything like that. It was a large animal. It came heaving out of the water, something like a whale. I mean, the part that was actually on the surface when it stopped rolling through was at least 20 feet long. It was totally extraordinary. It's the most amazing thing I've ever seen in my life. And I, if I could afford to spend the rest of my life looking for another glimpse of it, I would. Maybe that's why he made the fake photo then, because he just wanted people to be interested in it and, like, go look for it themselves for, for the off chance that they would see something. And, like, he'd be like, see, it is real. And, Maybe. You know? Because... I mean, this is kind of tangentially related. I was listening to an episode of My Favorite Murder where this woman, she she was murdered, spoiler, and um, her brother ended up, conf- this was like, it went cold, right? Mm-hmm. And her brother ended up confessing to it, but then later was like, it was a false confession. He just wanted people to start reinvestigating it and oh like be gosh. reinterested in it. He was willing to risk his freedom just so that they would care about his sister's case again. Wow. So, I mean... Did they find out who did it? Yeah. <gasps> wow, what a risk. Yeah. Um, so so that this could guy be- was risking his reputation, I guess. Yeah. I Lesser stakes, but still, you know, the same sentiment. Yeah. <laughs> he just wants people to care about it. I know, but I just think it's so cool that even though this guy was like, I proved that picture is wrong, but I still believe she's very real. It's very interesting. Yeah. So the internet is obviously saturated with what must be 
thousands of firsthand accounts of people claiming to have seen the Loch Ness Monster. And there are also a bunch of people who like troll making obviously false and like outlandish claims mm-hmm. of like it attacked me and oh blah, you know like stuff like that i'm sure there's um, a deep reddit dive somewhere yeah, out there and, and like honestly as i was reading through because i of course googled like firsthand accounts or i saw the loch ness monster and i none of them to me were worth sharing because it's all sort of the same thing like i was on a boat and i saw a flipper or i was on a boat and i saw this thing it's like yeah it, none of it the experiences that I read were not necessarily unique, but if you want to go like look through these stories, the, there are so many, you'll be able to find them very easily. Um, and if you're looking for cold, hard proof, the quote evidence can be of her existence that like evidence can be pretty underwhelming. I mean, often you'll find pictures of something that could be a fin sticking out of the water, but that seems to be about it. And otherwise you're really relying on word of mouth and eyewitness accounts. But like I said earlier, it's still fun to believe. And like you said, the Loch Ness could, Loch Ness could be a portal. Like, we don't know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Loch Ness has made an entire industry out of finding their beloved creature. There are tours in Scotland that you can take, that take you out onto Loch Ness. Um, I don't know if the boats actually use sonar or if it's all kind of rigged. But like you can go like hunting for Nessie and oh, see if you can yeah. find her. And they give you certificates once you finish your hunt. Um There are countless books, movies, and TV shows about the Loch Ness Monster. It's a subject that continuously captures the imagination of audiences, despite rarely offering new evidence to support her existence. Um, And to be clear, like I said, I'm not a hater. I love believing that the Loch Ness Monster is real because, once again, what's the harm in believing? It's fun. And I love Scotland, so (laughs) it would be disloyal for me to not believe in Nessie. Um, and I was wondering if you knew this, but apparently there is a Scooby-Doo and the Loch Ness Monster animated movie that came out in 2004. This sounds very familiar. I didn't read the whole plot because the Wikipedia page was very long. We should see if it's on streaming anywhere so we can watch it while we eat our dinner. We should. It's only 74 minutes long, like hour 15. Perfect. So, um... That would be fun to watch. And then, of course, the Loch Ness Monster gets mentioned at the beginning of one of our favorite movies of all time, Napoleon Dynamite. So Napoleon is giving a presentation on a current event in class when he says the following prolific quote. And I quote, he says, last week, Japanese scientists explaced placed explosive detonators at the bottom of Lake Loch Ness to blow Nessie out of the water. Sir Kurt Godfrey of the Nessie Alliance summoned the help of Scotland's local wizards to cast a protective spell over the lake and its residents and all those who seek a peaceful existence with our underwater ally. End quote. That was a great performance. Oh, thank you. And that is the history of the legend of our beloved Loch Ness Monster. Nessie. Oh. I know. Nessie's cute. She is cute. But She's do you know a cute the, little girl. Do you know the thing? I would never the go. Thing. I would. I mean, oh. no, like, I would. <laughs> Here's the thing. I would not go to a Loch Ness. It's, like, bo- like, it's the scenery around it is bland. Yeah. I, I went to a couple locks when I was in Scotland, but I went to Loch Lomond. Mm-hmm. Which was really pretty. Yeah, Loch Lomond is very pretty. Um, we did not get to Loch Ness. It's unfortunately, like I said, it's really touristy. Oh yeah, it's I was so it's say feels like gimmicky. It feels gimmicky, but also like since it is so touristy, I feel like if you are genuinely there to look for Nessie, other than through the touristy gimmicks, then you're not going to be alone, right? You're gonna there's going to be yeah, there'll people be all over so many people. and 
Nessie's not going to come to the surface if there's so many people no, out and about. Definitely so. not. So, I mean, if you want to go look for Nessie, certainly do that. But if you are going to the Scottish Highlands, I would just recommend going anywhere else. I'm <laughs> yeah. using your money to stay away from the tourists and you can support Nessie from afar. Those are my two cents. Yeah, I agree. All right. Well, I guess that concludes our episode yeah thanks for bearing with us guys you know we're we're so happy to be back and recording again um so i guess that brings us to our paranormal protection tip of the week Okay, so this week we are advising you to air it out. You might think leaving your doors or windows open may pose a security threat. (laughs) (laughs) And in a world where criminals and rodents exist, you'd be right. Ghosts are attracted to negative emotions or negative feelings. So if you're keeping everything shut, not letting fresh air in or light, you're creating an environment that could attract negative energy. So there you go. That's a good tip. I love having my windows open regardless. Yeah. So it's nice that there's. I mean, an keep added your doors bonus. locked, but like <laughs> you know, you can you can let in a few drafts here and there. Advantage to living in an apartment if you're on a high, if you're like above the first or second floor, you can open your windows and not yeah. feel like someone's gonna like sneak in because that would be exactly. very hard to scale the side. Unless of the they're Spider Man. Well, yeah. <laughs> And I also have a really big balcony, so I like to open my sliding door sometimes, let in the air, and it it really does put me in a better mood. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing that going outside helps. Like, when you don't want to do anything, <laughs> and you're like, Nature is truly like, healing. And then you go outside, and you're like, this helped me. Yeah. I guess go on my stupid little mental health walk for my stupid little mental health. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's a good tip. Yeah. Um, thank you so much again for listening, as Betsy said, and sticking with us as we just like work out the kinks and getting back into the swing of recording episodes again. Um, make sure to follow us on Instagram and TikTok at DFWG Podcast. And if you're feeling extra charitable, <laughs> consider joining our Patreon at patreon.com slash DFWG Podcast. We hope in the near future to start putting out more content for our patrons. Shout out Brittany, Nikki, and Jeremiah. I, I know when we're ready, we still want to hopefully put out an extra bonus episode on the Warrens because um, oh, yes. that's something... I would love to do um, when we're ready. So, yeah, uh, send your encounters to our email at dfwgpodcast at gmail.com. And please rate and review on Spotify and Apple if you're feeling inclined, even if it's negative. We love to hear all the feedback. We'll just laugh if it's <laughs> Not negative. literally. It's just hilarious to us. <laughs> it actually was so funny. Yeah. So remember, when in doubt, air it out. And always stay away from Ouija boards. Always! (laughs) Bye. Bye, guys. (laughs) Oh, my hand is so sweaty.